0: Welcome to Grace 360, a vibrant discussion on issues of diversity that we hope is engaging, biblical, and slightly entertaining. The goal of these podcasts is to create a healthy, honest, and helpful discussion for Christian educators, parents, and students from a biblical perspective on current cultural issues relating to diversity. Diversity for our purposes is related to the acrostic grace, gender, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status. While we don't have all the answers, we hope our discussion is thought provoking and helpful. Welcome to Grace 360.
1: Well, welcome back. In a few weeks, all of us will be starting back to school, whether on campus, virtually, or however your school is going to be doing this. And so we thought that we would have a conversation surrounding going back to school and everything that needs to be considered in regards to, um, I guess, what's going on in the world, what's going on in our nation, right, in regards to not only COVID, but also race relations after George Floyd, what our students, our parents, and our faculty and staff are wrestling with, and maybe some thoughts that people haven't considered. So today, as always, Cindy DeLeon, to Marcus Ragland, Dan Panetti, and I are here to wrestle with those ideas, to throw out ideas, and just to hopefully hope hopefully help you think through areas that haven't necessarily been thought through. So our demographics are very different. We're very diverse amongst the four of us. And so with that, we have a lot of fun conversations and would love to have you join in these conversations with us. So I guess I'll just throw out the first question is, how does everybody feel about going back to school in a few weeks? Is there any anxiousness in regards to any area? Is there anything that you are wrestling with before we start back to
2: school? I would say, um, from my standpoint, my wife's a teacher, right? I've got two kids in college and two kids here at school. And we're, in a sense, we're probably on that side of we're anxious to get back at school um, and we're anxious to get back to what would be, you know, considered sort of, you know, what was normal, where kids are in class, teachers are in class. It was a, a very difficult time for my wife to try to teach online. You know, my kids who were in college felt like, Uh, online classes or you know that's not what they paid for and that's not the best education they got and so there isn't really any apprehension right in our family from getting back to school now we do have right other people so you know my uh, my mother-in-law is older right and so we're concerned about you know her uh, and her health from that perspective but it's not like um, you know we don't live with her and so you know a lot of the things that that we're leaning towards are just, you know, what's best for our family and for our, you know, educational process. And it's getting back to school. Now, there are people, right, that we've talked to, right, who do have other concerns. And so, you know, one of the things that, that we're talking about just in and amongst our group is, um, you know, that that if you're in, the, in in one particular camp, you just have to understand that there's people in other camps. There's other people who are concerned for this particular reason. Uh, they're concerned for that particular reason. And, and, you know, we don't have any of those reasons, but it doesn't mean that I don't realize that, you know, everybody doesn't see things the same way that I do uh, in, in returning to school. So um, we were just saying that, you know, we got our back to school card from our school and it didn't mention anything about social distancing or wearing masks or anything. It was just, you know, as if things were normal, which for my family, there was like, okay, things are back to normal, that's great, um, but it doesn't mean that that's how everybody sees it. So what, what do you guys think as well?
1: Well, and before y'all answer, I did want to throw out, um, so Huff Post did a um, they did a study, and it was published on June 27th, and it said 42% of white evangelicals say they are nervous about them or someone in their households getting COVID versus 60% of all Americans are nervous. Versus 69% of Black Protestants are anxious about it, and so they are starting to do studies on the different demographics and the anxiousness levels and everything else. and And you see it in those who are the demographics of those who are getting COVID, as well. So yeah. So throw your thoughts out.
3: I know. I'm. I just thinking from kind of that, like you say, the other end of the, the spectrum. Uh, one of my biggest fears of, of going to school. I know that there's not so much. At least, at least so we're told, like with the, our age range of our students, they're not necessarily the most, you know, uh, vulnerable um, in, in terms of this. But I just think about how many of our students who uh, live with grandparents or, um, or who have parents who have pretty serious illnesses that are kind of like ongoing. Uh, you know, a couple students come to mind, and I just think about the, the impact that that could have on them coming to school, being exposed, and then returning home um, in those environments. And I think that dynamic, especially when, you know, I, th- I think it's across the board, but I know uh, especially when you look at some of your minorities, rather just from cultural reasons or life power that happens, there's a, there's a lot of people who have a lot of different generations or extended families in their homes. And so uh, that produ- that produces uh, you know different challenges. And so I I, I think you know kind of Dan going to the point you made earlier. Like I think you know any any school, regardless of the decision they're making, I think really over communicating the thoughtfulness of like, hey, we we recognize that there's still you know a very serious thing going on, and we're taking all precautions. And here's a, here's some of the ways that we're thinking through how we can do this most effectively, just so that people feel you know, that comfort of knowing, like, all right, this is being considered, and not just, you know, we're just opening a can of worms, and we'll see how it goes.
4: Yeah, I would agree. Um, being one of the people in the demographics of having an older loved one that lives with me, my mom lives at home with us, or with me, and, you know, the underlying conditions that go with being older. I also have an aunt who's battling cancer right now, and is going through chemotherapy, and I'm thinking, what my kids are going to be bringing to the classroom and then i have to go i don't have to but i'm blessed and privileged to be able to also help my aunt what am i possibly going to expose her to you know and it's already the case where when i go over you know she comes to the garage door i leave stuff on the table that's in the garage she takes it into her house and you know and, and stuff like that i mean i've been in her house one time two times i think since march you know, simply because I'm the one that's going to the grocery store along with other cousins, um, in order to help them. You know, and our kids have been out and about, and I understand. You know, they're they've got cabin fever, and and our state opened up. You know, and people have been doing things, and and people that don't have these things to worry about, why would they worry about it? You know, sort of deal. So we'll see. You know, and, and the anxiety of of also it doesn't have necessarily anything to do directly with COVID, but it, yeah, it does actually. You know, the anxiety of kids stepping back into the classroom, these kids haven't been in the classroom since the end of, at least our students, since the end of February. You know, so you think about what it's like when they're walking into the classroom after a typical summer break. Now we're adding an entire quarter to that, right? How many weeks has it been, I think? If, by, if, I, if I tallied it right, it will have been about 22, 23 weeks since we've all been together. You know um fifty two weeks in a year, right? That's a long time. you know, so what's the ang- that anxiety going to be? you know, along with the anxiety of people that that maybe have had loved ones get sick, um, as far as I know, I don't think we've had anyone in our in our school to have either contracted it or to have lost someone because of it. Um, I know I have some former students that have it um, back in miami but or that have faced it and dealt with it. Um, you know, what about our parents that are doctors that are dealing with this as well? And the anxiety that that might generate as they bring that home as well. So I don't know. It's going to be a, it's, it's as far as I can figure. And again, I'm not a genius, but there's a lot of stuff that's up in the air, you know, that, that we can try to plan for, but we're going to have to shift on the fly um, and pray for God's wisdom that we are wise and discerning and quick because we have to make those decisions.
1: Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that, um, so we have a Grace Council, our upper school diversity club, and when we went to remote learning, they wanted to meet every single week because they were processing, they were worried about different things, but a lot of it did have to go back to diversity. It had to go back to with, well, what is happening with our Asian American students? Are they feeling, you know, segregated and left out? Are they feeling discrimination? Are they feeling things? And then, you know, what is the demographics of those who are getting sick and those who aren't getting sick? But then also you throw on that what happened with Ahmaud Arbery and then you have George Floyd and you throw all these things on students and and they were just dying to meet every single week. And we had some Zoom meetings where some of our students, we just set time with lamenting and crying and just um, really being there for students but also and the students being there for each other. But also what they wanted to do was, well, what is our game plan and what are we going to do coming back? There's this nervous tension of, is it going to be, the same. If somebody says something, how am I going to react? How do I know how to react? And um, what is the care that I need to take care of myself in order to make sure that I'm doing well, but also that I'm responding well to other students and to teachers and to everything else? So, um, I mean, we've been meeting weekly. We even had a Juneteenth meeting. We've been, you know, watching documentaries, 13th and other things. So there's a lot going on, not just with COVID, but also in regards to race relations. So would anybody like to speak into maybe what they think about going back and maybe some of the anxiety that they've heard or that they themselves feel. And then what we need to do as a school as we reenter our
3: school.
2: Yeah. So Jenny, we, uh, um, in my, my Bible fellowship class, we actually um, lost two good friends during um, COVID uh, during the shutdown. Um, and just as, you know, as a, as a group of people doing life together who are all in their, you know, forties, fifties, sixties, it was a really, really, um, tough and difficult time to process that um, and, and to go through it. So I can't imagine being a student, <laughs> right, 15, 16, 17 years old, and just having, in a sense, it, it almost seems like, right, the world falling or, you know, apart around you, right, and so many different difficult things uh, happening and not really having an opportunity to process uh, that with, uh, with, you know, with friends, uh, with, uh, you know, teachers, um, you know, sort of being isolated at home um, and really not having a, a, a you know a, ch- a chance to to talk through and to listen to other people. Um, I think that'd be a, a very difficult thing to now come back to school and all of a sudden you know hey let's you know uh, get ready for football and get ready for you know math and you know and and you know the school you know I, I know our school specifically right runs at a really really rapid pace um, and so I think there's been so much that people have wanted to process through. And they haven't had a chance to. And as soon as you open up those doors, people are want, are going to want to get back to normal, right? What happens to that? Um, you know that that processing time. Um, you know, is there going to be time built into the school to say, hey, here's the things that ha- has happened as Cindy mentioned over the last twenty something weeks, right? Half of a year. Are we just going to ignore those? Do we build time in to deal with those things? Um, And I think that's that's a conversation that a school, right, administration needs to begin to have and say, hey, when we open up those doors, is it just, you know, math, science, and English, or are we going to make time to make sure that you know our students have a, a time to process things, uh, to talk about things, to learn from those things? I know that um, I have a particular program called Student Leadership Institute, um, and we always pick a topic to wrestle with in the fall. and I, and I picked, you know, COVID nineteen, right? I, I picked that as my topic because I want our students to wrestle with this. Uh, I want them to work through it. I want them to hear, you know, lots of different perspectives from different people who have had to deal with this, um, because I think at, at 16 years old. Um, you know, they've gone through it, but it's mostly been about how it's affected them. They haven't asked questions. how's it affected everybody else? And what are the different perspectives that are out there? Um, so if, if I were a school, right, I'd make sure I work this into my curriculum and make sure that we have a time to, uh, to process and to think through some of these things that have happened.
4: Yeah, I think that's a, that was a great point that you made there, Dan. You know, um, just yesterday, I think it was, or the day before yesterday, a video went viral of a man who got very upset at a Costco in Florida. Um, and he unleashed on an on a senior citizen who requested that he please put a mask on, you know, and people are like, well, he's just responding because of stress. Well, honestly, stress only brings out what's already in you, right? If you squeeze a lemon, whether it's a sunny day or it's a rainy day, what you're going to get when you squeeze a lemon is going to be lemon juice, right? So the stress simply brings out what's in a person. Um, it doesn't necessarily bring out it doesn't taint the flavoring, is what I'm trying to say. I guess. Um, what is that like for our kids? You know, how have they been processing at home? You know, do you have parents that that um, are skeptical of the narrative, and they're going to be sitting in a classroom with students whose parents aren't skeptical? you know, and, and how we're going to have to deal with all of that. Um, you know, and if adults are struggling to process, as Dan mentioned, with the loss of two, um, two community members um, in his Bible study group, um, our kids aren't good at processing. And they've been trying to do this at home, maybe some of them. And I don't know, were you guys the kind of teenagers that sat around and tried to process these things? Or did we just run full tilt? You know, so we'll, we'll see.
1: I think it's interesting because you said, you know, like when you talked about the Costco in Florida, one of the things that's been discussed is that there are so many more recordings now. And so people are recorded doing things that it wouldn't in the past been recorded. We wouldn't have known about that includes both reactions to COVID, but it also includes this race relations, you know, every, it seems like all the time there are recordings coming out of someone saying something or doing something. And now it's just all coming to light. And so as our students are processing COVID, they're also processing this. I remember what struck me the most after Ahmaud Aubrey was um, a student in our Grace Council. She's African-American. She's only been in our school for two years. She was in a very diverse school before that. And she said, I didn't know racism still really existed like it did in the past. And I, found, I, was, I was really shocked. I was like, okay, but wait a second. And, um, and it turns out that more, a lot of our students felt that way. They knew it existed in the past because they were taught that in curriculum and they were taught that in the classroom. But to the extent that they saw it with Ahmaud Arbery and then George Floyd, they weren't ready for that and they hadn't ever thought through that so then we had to spend some time going through this is what reality does look like so not only was there this idea of i can't believe this is going on but there was this idea i can't believe this actually exists and that there is racism in our country and so there's a lot that's processing i know our students It was good for them to constantly be on Zoom, to process things together because they were nervous about coming back and if they heard a comment in the hallway or if they heard something going on, that they needed time to process that as a group so that then they could respond well. Um, But then you have going into elections. I mean, we're about to hit election cycle on top of all this. So there's a lot that needs to be considered. But if we look at it specifically, we talked about students. Uh, about students, what about our faculty and staff? What do we need to consider with our faculty and staff going back to school?
3: Um, I want to kind of answer that question, but kind of just kind of give some more context. I think we're two just explaining, and I think um, part of what's hard. I've had a number of conversations this summer, and you know one of the things that I've actually come very like fascinated by is trying to pinpoint like where the disconnect is with people because you know I, I think there's a, a lot of discussion that I'm having like I say with people very much so mean well um but there's just there's just like this a disconnect and I was talking with a friend and he gave me he um, provided a very helpful framework I think for thinking about racism I think, it's such a loaded term for us, especially as Americans. And typically the way like it's thought of now is like you're either like racist or you're not racist or anti-racist, right? Like there's, there are these polar opposites in like no in between. And actually don't think it works like that. Like, so he, he the example he gave is he was like, it's like, like lust. He was like, right? Like there's like adultery. That's like the act of. But then Jesus also says, But if you even lusted after a woman in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. And so there's layers. So maybe I'm right that, that as I'm continuing in my sanctification process and I can grow in these areas, um, I'm not just like one day I was lustful and then one day I'm not. And I think for many, they it really takes this like humble acceptance of like. Hey, it wasn't like I was like racist growing up and like was doing all of these things and saying all of these things. And then one moment I just stopped being racist and then it was just wrong. Um Yeah, maybe you didn't, you don't say some of the things or do some of the things you did in the past. But if you still, right, if you can kind of self-reflect and you still have a um, um, subjective um, or a uh, lesser default understanding of people of color or people around you or the way that you write. Like, you know, one of the interesting things that I notice a pattern where, like, you know, maybe I'll submit an article about a situation and people are like, uh, I don't know about that. And then they read another article that's like, you know, well, actually, you know, my Arbery was a criminal. And they're like, see, now the facts are out. And it's like, well, why do you, I'm like, you haven't done any more research about this article than that one why do you assume this one is factual because it says he was a criminal? And it's what, well, there's, there's something in my mind that says this can't be right. Why? Because the police are good. You know, I don't want to say it out loud, but like black people seem to be criminal. And so, right. Like, and if it's like, if I, if we don't start to address the narrative that allows some of these decisions and some of these, um, uh, acts that are happening to persist, I think that's why it's so elusive today. Because I, I, I don't think most people would, would, would come out and say, like, so oh, I just, you know, hate, you know, X, Y, and Z. But it's the, um those presuppositions and those, that residue of the narrative of racial difference that, you know, left unchecked continues to perpetuate this. Uh, I see this narrative that that really just automatically puts people of color in a certain category, um, and so I think as we're going back to school and as we're talking with students, as you know, we have you know different conversations with with staff. Um, I think that that's um, I don't know. I really feel like there's there's not a good way to get back to quote unquote normal without intentionally having those conversations as a staff like across the board so that like that like I don't think you can just start work the first day and we all just pretend like these past few months you haven't been a thing. Um that's just gonna make for a lot of nasty gossip and well, I heard he said, she said, you see this, like, um, it's just going to have to be something that we need to tackle at the very onset of the year so that we can continue to walk together and go through it um, going forward.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I'm grateful that um, our school is allowing us that time to process. I know that I, we already have five trainings set up for faculty and staff, both small group and large group, to work through these areas, especially in regards to diversity with, with race. And so I'm grateful for that. But I do I do worry about um, you know, just even walking in the doors. So what are the letters that we're sending home to our faculty and staff setting up that walking into the doors to help, helpfully alleviate some of that anxiety and some of that stress coming in. And then what are the conversations that we are not, I guess, not, forcing our faculty and staff to have, but how are we equipping them should a conversation happen in their classroom, which I can almost guarantee you it will happen, so how are we equipping them to have those conversations well, even in regards to just simple things such as definitions, you know, what does privilege mean, and what do you have, what happens if you have a kid who, you know, screams out in the middle class Black Lives Matter, what what do you do in these situations, and how do you respond well, so I'm grateful we have a school that's, you know, actively engaged in this, we've been actively engaged for years, But that we're also saying, you know what, before we start school, we really need to go through and look at all these areas once again and make sure all of our faculty and staff feel comfortable going into the classroom and going back into these discussions.
2: Yeah, I think one one of the things, Jenny, is I think a lot of people are afraid to have the conversations that need to be done because by, by, in a sense, by having the conversation, it's almost like you're giving credit to something that you don't want to have happen. So you were, you were showing me on a, a discussion board how people were talking about, you know, the, the kneeling situation, right, during the national anthem. And I think what a lot of people do is just, well, that, that's never gonna happen here, um, so we're not even gonna talk about it, right? It's just, it's, just that's, it's not an option, right? It's not an option, we're not gonna allow it to happen, so you don't even talk about it. And I think the reality of it is, right, is, the, the kneeling so that you have the conversations. That's the whole point, have the conversations, right? I don't I don't have to kneel during the national anthem to draw your attention to the conversations if you're already having them, right? And I think that's the concept is, right? If a school opened up its doors and said, hey, let's talk about these issues, right? Let's wrestle with these things, right? Then you don't have a, a student or a parent or, or some community frustrated that nobody's listening to them, right? I think the idea is, right that there are there are people desiring to have conversations to desiring to be heard desiring to say you know this is how i see the world does anybody else see the world the same way that i do and you, and you begin to give um, you know credit to other people and other groups and other situations and other experiences and say okay i don't see the world that way but but thank you for sharing that you see the world this way and that that's important to me because i value you as my brother and sister in christ and and that's where those things happen right and i think that's why it's like you know for most people it's just You know, hey, we don't have the conversations because, you know, that's never going to happen here. And and then you just shut down the conversations. And those people who really feel like they're not being heard, right? They either suffer through it and go, okay, nobody's going to talk about it, or they just leave. They just say, okay, you know, if we're not going to be the predominant group at a particular school or particular area, right? We're never going to be heard. We just got to go find places where then we're going to be the predominant group, so we're around people who listen to us. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's right. If you're a predominantly white school. Um, you need to be able to listen to the narrative that isn't predominantly white, right? And that means finding somebody who's not white to give you that narrative and say, you know what, hey, Tamarcus, you know, you're here at my school. Come in. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Hey, this particular family here, that particular student, right, and giving them credit for their experience and letting them share that with you. It doesn't mean that you have to agree. It doesn't mean that you have to say, okay, as a school, we're all going to take a knee. It doesn't mean that, but let's, let's at least have the conversations, and I think those are important things, right, for us to listen and learn through and be a part of.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think you touched on something. I think it's fear. I think there is a lot of fear associated with these conversations. I know that um, our student council, um, I have schools call me all the time wanting to create student councils, and the thing they always say is, how do you get around the LGBTQ discussion? and And there's this intense fear about it. and I, I always tell him, I said, "You don't understand. the kids are having the conversation anyways. We're just giving them a space to teach them how to have the conversation well. so it's it's it is that we approach everything biblically, but we allow space for that. And I do think Satan uses that fear so well.
2: Yeah. but well, one, one of the things in that that thread of conversations that you had was a bunch of different schools talking about the kneeling, right? And one of the schools, right their their basic thing was, Right, it just you know, it's unbiblical. It's not going to happen. It's anti-American, right? And just shut it down. And I was like, wow, if you were at that school and you know you were a student who wanted to protest in some way, you're like, I don't. There's no way to demonstrate that you have a different idea or a different opinion than than what's being you know shared at that particular school. And I'm like, that's not what a Christian school is about, right? It's not so that we you know march out of here lockstep, all saying the exact same thing. It's that we march out of here, right, in the idea that we're all serving right? The, you know, the lordship of Christ, and we're building his kingdom, right? Yeah. And, and, I, don't, you know, I don't, I don't get that. Like, that's, that's the bigger goal, right? And producing some kids who protest against some of the things that are happening in the world, the fallen world, right? That they say, hey, that's not right. I'm like, you know, Jesus did that, right? I mean, Jesus, Jesus was a tr- tremendous social activist and a, and a huge protester against the sin and the, the you know the destruction that he saw in the world. And he brought hope and he brought healing, and that's what we want for our kids. But to do that, you have to have a lot of difficult conversations along the way. And so, I think from a Christian school perspective, we need to open up that dialogue and open up that room for those kids and your staff and your families to have that conversation. I
3: want to add something to that. My hope is to alleviate the, the fear of the conversation. Um, one of my one of my very good friends, uh, he's white. I'm black, um, and we have conversations about race and culture and our backgrounds and upbringings and all kinds of things all the time. And the interesting part about our conversations is almost every time we talk about it, some misconception that I have about white people is is checked. Some misconception or some you know, Ill, you know, ill thought about Black people for him is checked. And it's this ongoing process, right, of where, like, um, you know, he'll realize, like, we'll be talking through and he'll be like, you know, I never thought about it, but, like, this is, like, something that I, I think, and, like, it didn't get me to just now that that's, like, problematic. That is what Christian accountability does. The revelation that you have some sort of racist tendency or thought or disposition isn't in and of itself the defeat. The defeat only comes when I'm faced with it and I can either ignore it or I can acknowledge it and repent from it. And if it ends with acknowledgement and repentance, then you've won, like that, we've won, right? Like that is, that is the goal. And so it, it shouldn't be, right? It almost should be, I want to have a conversation because if this is in me, God take it out instead of, I don't want to have this conversation because if it is there, I don't want to address it. And so then I'm just going to leave it unchecked. And I think that is more so, um, I think on one side you see that fear and then on the side of, you know, I would at least for myself is I feel like when you're, when you're not willing to have it checked, it's like, all right, it feels like you're protecting it. and you know, I'm I'm not afraid for us to have a conversation. And what comes out of it is, you know, actually, yeah, I did have this crazy idea, or I did think this way, or I have done these things. Sweet. All right, let's let's walk let's walk together and walk through that. Um, and and I think I think if we think through the conversation in that lens, that might take away some of the um, some of the sting of the fear of engaging.
1: Uh, I love that. I do think Satan uses fear a lot to stop our conversations and start broad dialogues. So, um, I guess time's up. I mean, we don't, we could go on forever about this. I mean, I just want to go off what you were talking about and some other discussions I've had on the side in regards to, you know, judging past as we talk about statues and monuments, judging the past based on morals of today, what that looks like. And again, associated with fears, but, um, I will go ahead and wrap up today. Does anyone want to end with anything in particular before we sign off today? Okay, well then I'll go ahead and sign off, but please join us again, we're bound to have more conversations surrounding um, going back to school, the monuments, you know, what elections look like, so please feel free to join us again, we hope you do.
0: Thank you for listening to Grace 360. As always, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes and are not intended to be divisive or inflammatory in nature. We hope you listened and learned as much as we have in the process of producing the show and pray you'll join us for our next episode. You can find us on social media. We would love to have you as part of our discussion with your thoughts and questions. Once again, thank you for listening to Grace 360.